Hey, miserable bitches! We are back, back, back with another episode of Misery Manor. I'm Toadie because I broke my toe. <laughs> <laughs> and this is... Emily, I'm back! She's back and she's COVID-free. But before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Hey. Hi. Oh, is Hi. she happy to be back or? I'm happy to be back. She's COVID free. Yes. And she's happy as can be. And mm. we are back to do this episode again together. Yay. She didn't get COVID for fucking three years, but she got it. Where did you think you got it? At that restaurant, right? No, that was just the last place I went. Oh, whatever. I mean, there's no way to even know where you got it. But you're yeah. the only person I know that has gone the three years that it was, like, you know, prevalent yeah. and not get it. And then you get it when it's The week like, I get my second booster, yeah. Right. That but, would happen to me. No but problem. I was honestly fine. I just, yeah. Yeah. But she's back. So I don't have to do episodes alone anymore. That was really interesting, I'll tell you. You did great, though. I mean, it wasn't anything. It was well, still entertaining. It was still funny. It was still I know, you. but it just, because there's part, parts where I would, like, giggle and I'm like, who the fuck am I laughing with? Like, <laughs> but um, but no, the reason why I said hello, my name is Toady. I broke my motherfucking toe. Uh, we had a game night this weekend, and obviously without a game night, you can't have, like, you have to have alcoholic beverages. And I had quite a few, but that's not why I broke it. But I was changing it into a new t-shirt because my friend Autumn went to Mexico, and she bought me and Josh these new, like, they're actually really cool, these, like, um, what is it? Dila de los Muertos. Dila you know the skull. Yeah. The skull on a tank top. Sugar it... skull or Katrina? I don't fucking know. <laughs> a fucking skull of some sort with colors on it. I was like, oh my god, I want to try it on. I want to put it on. So I went to go put it on, and like as I'm putting my head through it, I'm like stumbled, and I hit my toe on the edge of the bed, and the toe went Argh! to the oh left, gosh. and I went to the right, and I was like, oh shit. Um, I think it's okay. Like, I heard a little... <laughs> but, you know, when you have a couple cocktails, you can't really feel anything. And then, like, as the night went on, Autumn was like, babe, the toe is purple. Now it's blue. Now it's... Like, it just went through the whole color wheel. Ended up looking like a Bob Ross painting towards the end. Um, I'll post a photo of it because it's jarring. It's quite beautiful. It looks like a sunset. And I did a cycle class today. You did, and you did a great job. But I think it's because our feet are strapped in. I mean, it's not like I'm, like, crushing the bones. Yeah. I don't know. But it looks terrible. It looks painful. It really does look painful. But it's actually not. So, um, no need to pray about it. Because <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Please don't. It is good to go. Actually, I had a dream that it fell off at the end of the bed. <gasps> like a dew claw on a puppy dog. Oh. And I had a dream that I ate it. <laughs> Ew! Why would you eat it? Well, because, okay, I can't believe I'm about to say this. So when I was little, I threw up corn and I ate it because I was so scared that my mom was going to get mad at me. So I threw up corn. It looked like cream of corn. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I just threw up on my bed. So I ate a little bit of it. 
<laughs> Holy shit. Uh, Kids I was, do so. I mean, that makes sense. I was scared, and it tasted fine. And like the, I used to pee the bed on purpose so that my mom would come and see me in the middle of the night. And uh, she got so tired of it, she would just put a towel down and say, Well, you're here. So I'm sleep in my pissy. Well, it's your fault. <laughs> I know, so I fucking was like, well, never mind, I'll hold it. Or just get up and go to the bathroom. Well, I was scared of the dark, so I wanted her to come oh. in there and, like, see me. <laughs> and sometimes she'd be like, oh, you know, you can come make a pallet on the floor. But as I got older, and now, don't give me, this was when I was, like, five, six, seven-ish. Not, like... Eight, nine, ten. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but anyways, enough about me. Let's get into this. For once. Let's get into this case. So, this case is actually probably one of my favorites that we've done just because we talk about such a heroic woman. I mean, this woman, she survived this. So this is a survival tale. The details of this are absolutely insane. Like, like graphic? Graphic, but also like, it sounds like a movie. It sounds like something that you could never imagine that could happen and someone survived this. It's, so she's a final girl. She survived the horror. It is insane. So let's get into it, okay? Okay. So... Today's story takes place in South Africa near Port Elizabeth. So Mm -hmm. this is a very, very, very beautiful place. It's right next to the ocean. Mm -hmm. A lot of ships come here to deliver goods. Um, There's a lot of bird sanctuaries everywhere. Um, It has a population of about 1 million. So kind of small, kind of. So this is going to occur in the 1990s. Okay. Um, So Alice and Botha, ever since she was a kid, she was known to be very very smart. She was very confident. She was very charismatic. Um, All of the teachers, all of her friends were always like, Allison, like, when you grow up, you're going to do big and wonderful things. You're amazing. Um, And they always thought that she would become like a doctor or a lawyer. She loved studying. Um, She was considered what they called like the head girl Mm -hmm. at school, which I thought was like, like the most popular bitch but it's like yeah. more of like the valedictorian okay um academically head girl right but they're popular maybe for different reasons than right popular but here. she was popular like everybody wanted to be her friend everybody would hang around her every chance they could get mm-hmm. um at first when you think of like the popular girls you think of kind of like regina george yeah. from mean girls um but she's like quite opposite of that she was um she was very happy she was caring she was super supportive um, everybody wanted to be around her. Um, she was like the type of person that would like support you in all of your endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like your hype woman, your cheerleader. Um, everyone just described her as strong, independent, charismatic, just all around wonderful, wonderful human. So, and her parents were very, um, like a huge reason why she was that way. So they did divorce when she was 10 years old, okay. um, but they raised her exactly how she should have been raised. So even though they divorced, they were still very close. They had a mutual relationship. Um, she was living with her mom and her dad moved a couple of towns over. Um, so she wasn't always with her mom and always with her dad, um, but they had a really good relationship. They traded off. They co-parented you know, well. Very well. Like if the mom was like, hey, can I have her for, you know, one more week? We're going to go do this. The dad was like, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, okay. it, was, it was a very, wow. very, very good um Parenting, yeah, exactly. Um, And her mom always told her, you know, in life, just do your best. You can always be proud of yourself if you do your best. You don't have to be the best in class. You don't have to be the best in town. As long as you do your best, you can be proud. And who cares if nobody else is proud of you as long as you're proud of yourself? Wow. Um, I need to take that advice. Yes, write it down. 
Um, also, her mom would tell her, quote, I don't care what you decide to do when you get older. I will always support and love you, Allison. So that's what she would tell her all the time when she was on her way to school. So super, super, super supportive parents. Um, So she had this, like, really wonderful sense of, like, self. Like, she thought, you know, she she just felt very supportive in every single way and fashion. That's super... um mature for a high schooler at such a young age. She's the only child too, huh? Right. And this is like all, of course, all growing up, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So she had a lot of self-confidence because of this, not in a cocky way, but she just was like, you know what? I just feel good about life. So she knew she had an amazing support system. She was very confident in her abilities. um, And she even was like, you know what? I'm going to go spend four years overseas. So she just got up, went overseas for four years to just study um, learn new cultures, learn new ways of life. She just wanted to travel. So she would just go overseas for four years and just kind of hop around and learn new cultures, jobs, all sorts of stuff. Oh, she wasn't studying? She was No, just... she was studying, but she was like taking oh. up little jobs here and there. She just wanted to learn different ways of life, just kind of figure out what she wants to do, right? Wow. So like as she's traveling, she's like, you know what? I need to figure out what I want to do next in my life. Like, what should I do? Where should I go? What should I study? What should I be? Um, she was actually working at an insurance company as a broker, um, and she mm-hmm. even took some, like, secretarial classes she loved, um, you know, talking on the phone, meeting uh-huh. new people, and just kind of being, like, a secretary. Person- um, personable? Right. She was like, you know, I like it overseas, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if this is, like, what I want to do forever. So she came back to South Africa, because that's where her, her heart, were, heart was um, after... Um, studying abroad for four years. So she comes back to South Africa. So at this time, though, Allison is 27 years old. Okay. Okay. So on December 18th of (gasps) night. That's my sister's birthday. Yep. Of 1994. So this is like right before Christmas, but the weather here is way different. So there it was so hot. It felt like summer. Isn't it opposite there? Yeah. So it was like, obviously what? Twenty. Seven days before Christmas. Yeah, it's a week before. And they were at the beach. <laughs> so the sun is shining. People are at the beach. Allison included. All of her friends. They're just, like, soaking, soaking up the sun. They're, like, surfboard. Like, they're laying out. They're having a good old fucking time at the beach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they all are at the beach. They're hanging out. Um, she said in the documentary, she was like, you know, we got home. And you know that feeling when you get home from the beach and you have, like, the salts on you and your hair is, like, crisp? They love that feeling, you know? Yeah. So... They were doing all that. They smelled like sunscreen. They were like, you know what? Let's just have like a little game night. So they ordered pizza. They started playing games. They had a few beverages. It was like the picture perfect summer, not being summer, night with all of her friends, all of her best friends. So Did anyone break their toe? Three. Three of them did. Oh. No, they didn't. Okay. So after they're hanging out, um, they slowly start to like go home. And one of her friends was like, oh, hey, Allison, I didn't drive here. Is there any way that you could drive me back to my house? It's like on the way. And she was like, oh, yeah, sure. In fact... Um, she had done some of her laundry at this friend's house. She was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, so I'll drop you off, and then I'll just get my laundry um, okay. when I drop you off. So, good. They all say their goodbyes. They start driving home, and they're exhausted from the day, right? Mm-hmm. So, at this point, though, it's completely dark outside, and she lives in a pretty populated area. So, she's driving, um, and, the, and the parking spot that was right in front of her apartment unit was taken. So, she usually gets home around, like, 7 or so, but this is late, so someone had already taken okay. her parking spot. Uh, so she was like, well, shit, where do I park now? 
So she keeps driving into the unit, um, and she finally finds a spot, but it's like a little bit of ways down. Um, I already hate it. Yeah, so she's like, this is kind of far, but no big deal. So she parks her car, she's about to get out, and she like reaches in the back of her car to grab her laundry that she had, right? Mm -hmm. So this is when she realizes that the doors of her car, she didn't lock them. And the front door, or the driver's side door swings open. And there's a man and he has a knife and he puts it up to her throat and he says, move over now and don't say a fucking word. So he wanted her to hop over the little middle Mm -hmm. part and get into the passenger seat and he proceeds to get in. I would have already screamed. I get so spooked with people. She said she was just like, like, holy shit, like shocked. And he was very calm. So afraid and like completely caught off guard, she does exactly what this man asked her to do. Mm -hmm. So she moves over to the passenger side. The man gets into the driver's side, closes the door shut, and starts driving away immediately. So Alice is out. She's very smart. She's tactical. She's like, I'm just going to be prepared for everything. So she's like, should I jump out? Should Mm -hmm. I attack him? Should I just listen to him and do whatever he says? She had all these thoughts, but she was like, I'm going to be prepared for whatever may happen in this situation. So the man is driving out of the apartment complex and he's just looking all over and Allison tells her like, or sorry, and he tells Allison, look, I'm not going to hurt you. Don't be alarmed. I just need to use your car for about an hour or so. That's all. Don't be afraid. Everything is going to be fine. I know you look a little bit scared right now, but don't be scared. I'm not going to do anything. Okay, so, he sounds like Richard Speck when he was right. following that lady. Right. So Allison's like, well, I am scared, but also like she was trying to be very hopeful. So she thought, you know what? Maybe he is just trying to use my car for some like shady drug business. Um, Cause he said that he had dabbled in drugs and shit. So she was thinking, oh. um, so she told him, she was like, Oh, Hey, yeah, that's fine. Just please don't hurt me. But at the same time, she's thinking if he just wanted my car, why? Why didn't he just force me out of it and take my car? Why am I still in the car? And when people start sharing things about themselves with you, that would scare me. Yeah. So she's like scared shitless, but she's trying to make, remain calm. And you know I would shit. Oh, I would have sharted 15 times. So as they're driving, the man is like, so they're just driving, pitch quiet. He goes, so what's your name? And he's like trying to make all this small talk with her and like not even hesitating. She said, my name is Susan. And obviously we know that's not her name. She's like, but hell no, I wasn't about to get him, give him my name. So he's like, okay, nice to meet you, Susan. I have a question. Do you have a boyfriend, Susan? No. And she said, yeah, I actually do. And he said, oh, really? She he's said, we, big and he plays football and he's going to beat the shit out of no, you. No, she's like, well, we've been together for quite a while, you know, and he's going to be very, very worried as to why I'm not home. I just told him mm-hmm. I was on my way home. He might report me missing to the police. Do you think you could just, like, pull over and let me go? You can have the car. It's, like, really old anyways. I promise you I will not say a word. Just, can you just please let me out? And he listened to her, and he was like, ah, no. And he said, I just really want some company right now. Besides, will you come with me to pick up one of my friends? And she's like, oh, shit. So Allison continues to try to talk to him and, like, you know, kind of humanize herself a little bit because she knew something was about to be bad. And then she was still making small talk, like, can you please let me go? Um, And she's like, I promise I will not say a word to anybody. Just please let me go. Like, I have so much, like, I need to get back to. Like, please, you can have the car. Again, I will not say a word. Um, But 
it's not working. She's like, okay, that's not working. Is he getting mad? No, he's, he's actually really nice, and you'll see that in a second. So they're driving some more, and Allison says, well, I never got your name. What's your name? And he says, my name is Clinton, which is a lie. <laughs> so they continue to drive. He's giving Allison all these false, like, securities. He's like, you know, don't be scared. Listen, I can see that you're so scared. Like, and he keeps saying it over and over again. I promise you, you're fine. I just need to borrow your car. You did nothing wrong. Like, why are you scared? So she did for quite some time start thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be scared. I think I'm overreacting. <laughs> so, but then she starts getting worried, okay? Because as they're driving farther and farther, they're going into this very dark, dark park. That's of the what city. I'm picturing. And okay. it's like, this is like the part of the town where your parents are like, hey, don't go there. You're going to get robbed. Or like, you know, go with a group of friends. And she said that she saw the like um, light post, you know, and then eventually there was none. <gasps> so it was just completely dark. Oh my God, no. So they go into this part of the town and they pick up a friend. They pull over and they pick up this guy. And when they pulled up, Allison didn't. So he just gets in the back of the car and Allison is so scared. She just keeps her head straight. And this is the 90s. Like he hasn't called and like no. texted and been like, hey, I'm in this type of car. No. So that would make me wonder, okay, does he know, like right. has he been watching me? Or did they plan this? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. So, Allison said that when he got in the car, she didn't turn around to be like, oh, you know, like, look over her shoulder to see. She just kept her eyes, sh- like, straight forward. And she finally, she looked at him through the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And she said when she saw him, it was I'm the scared. most haunting, scary thing. I'm like, scared. he had, like, bags. He looked, like, just pure cold and just evil. Um, Is he, like, on drugs? Just evil. Just, like, oh, dark, okay. demented. Just, like, something was fucking up. Um, and like she said, any sense of like hope that she had completely just blew out the window at that point. She was like, Oh, I don't think I'm gonna make it home. She said the exact moment that she made eye contact with him, she was like, I'm gonna die tonight. I already know it. I already know it. And when I show you photos of this guy, you're gonna know why. He is terrifying looking. So she said in the documentary, she's like, I knew at that point I would not be going home to see any of my friends or family ever again. So they drive past the city and they head towards like this alcove where there's like, it's just a bunch of sand near the beach. There's no street lights. It's really off the beaten path. It is just like a literal like. It's on the sand. They're driving in the sand. Well, so they're heading towards the beach. Mm-hmm. So you, you know how you start seeing like sand dunes yeah. and stuff? It looks like that. Um, so she's like, oh my God, there's no lights. All she could see was the headlights and just like sand and like the beach so in the front. So it's just desolate. Right. So he stops the car, and the guy in the back of the um, car gets out, and he just starts smoking a cigarette. So he's just, like, chilling. So it's just Allison and the other guy just sitting there in complete silence. And he finally speaks up, and he's like, hey, how do you turn the lights off of this stupid car? And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's an older car. Let me show you. So she, like, reaches over to turn off the lights, and right when he does that, he puts the knife up to her throat again. He said, are you going to try to fight me? And she was like, no no, I promise. Like, I wouldn't do that. He was just trying to make sure that she wasn't going to resist anything that they were about to do. And I'm wondering, did the Clinton mm-hmm. and his scary demon friend, did they have any, did they converse at all in the car? No, on the way she to- said it was completely silent the whole way. So that's why she knew something was up, because they weren't like, oh, where are we going? Like, what do we have planned for the night? Like, they had fucking no. Like, they knew what they were about to do. So, 
so he said, are you going to try to fight? And she said, no. Like, no, no, no. I'm not going to do anything. I promise. Oh, so but then, he's talking about what's coming next. Right. So she was oh my God. thinking to herself, she's like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I run? Like, the car stopped. I could easily just get out and run. But she but was like, where? she's like, but the guy is right outside of the car. What if he, like, chases after me? Do they have a gun? If I do get away, there's no one here that could help me. Because they're out in the middle of nowhere. No one would yeah, hear like, me. Yeah, like, where would she run She's to? She's like, I don't know where any of these roads lead to. I don't have my phone. Like, I'd, I've never been here before. She probably doesn't have a cell phone. It's 94. No. Right. Like, I doubt it. Right. So, a million thoughts are going through her head at this point. So, she just didn't do anything. So. It makes me think back to the beginning when she, he just had the knife. Like, mm. I, you can't say that you know what you're going to do. But oh, like, she sure. could have just, like, I would be thinking back to it. I should have just run then. Right. I should have just run then. Right. And she because had those I thoughts s- that kept coming back over. I should have done this. I should have done that. But so she didn't fight, yeah. obviously. So she said, no, 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 of course not. I'm not going to fight back. Mm-hmm. So he then said, all right, well, I want you to give me some oral sex. So she, of course, did that. that. such a weird. And she said he was so incredibly aggressive. Like, he was forcing her head down on him and like it was just nasty yeah, um, I bet his he dick said smelled. he said the whole time he was holding the knife right up to her while she did hit and was like pushing her head down on it and she was it was horrible and, and the other guy's just sitting there watching them he's smoking a cigarette and so the guy in the guy that is getting oral sex from her said if you fucking bite me i will kill you clinton clinton who i just keep picturing Clinton and Stacy from... So after she was done giving oral sex, he pushed her back and forcibly gave her oral sex. And he constantly kept oh. asking these disgusting questions during it. He was like, do you like that? Tell me how good it feels. I want you to tell me. He said, does your boyfriend do it like this to you? Do I do it better? And afterwards, when she was done... So she did say in the documentary, her body naturally did what... Yeah. Which means she did have an orgasm, which she thought was the ultimate betrayal. But that's just her body. But in yeah. that moment, she felt, like, sick. Um, so afterwards, he kissed her and said, wow, you have the nicest, nicest tasting fanny. Which Ew. is a... I know. Oh, I didn't know if it was a puss or a butt. <laughs> I think it depends on where you're from. Yeah, so I'm assuming it's her... <laughs> Ew. But still, so she was disgusted by that. So... The entire time the men were like assaulting her, like choking her randomly. Um, she said she felt like she was like a rag doll. And she's like half naked now. Right, exactly. So, um, is she on the ground? Is she, I'm just picturing No, she's them still leaning. in the car. She's still in the car. Oh, she was in the car. In I the thought car. they were. She hasn't leaning. got out yet. So, okay. um, so she told herself, she's like, Allison, there's nothing you can do to stop this. These guys are going to rape you. Um, she was like trying to hype herself up though she was like look you know that's okay let them rape you because you can survive this you know she was telling herself she was like you're strong you're beautiful you can get through this you know you when you get through this you're gonna have the love and the support from your family friends back home like just let it happen and don't try to fight it'll all be over soon um and she kept telling herself she said quote remember allison he's doing this to your body but not to you because he can never actually touch who you really are on the inside so oh she kept God. telling herself that over and over again. She said, I just laid there limp. And that's just what got her through it. So afterwards, Clinton, quote, ended up raping her. Um, and when he was finished, he got out of the car and he asked the other guy who was still outside. He said, hey, quote, do you want to have sex with the lovely lady? And the other guy looked at him and said, no, I want to fuck the stupid bitch. 
and the and Clinton was like, no, 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 you can't talk to a lady like that. She's a lady. You'll see. Like, just disgusting. So then the guy, he's like, all right, come on, come get you some. So the guy goes into the car and he rapes her then as well. Like so, violently? Yes. So after all that's done, the guys come over to her and they start to strangle her. Like they're both like both. Her. Yeah, they're both and like they're hitting her. They're strangling her. I mean, like super, super hard. And they strangled her so hard that she ended up peeing herself and she yeah. passed out. So the next thing she said she knew, she wakes up and she's in the sand. So somehow in between, they had taken her out of the car and drug her into the sand. And she's near, like, this beachy area, and the two guys are standing over her. And she's she can barely see, and she, she just sees them both standing over her. So, peeing on herself is actually really important, because it actually ended up saving her life. They didn't want her pee being in the car, because they were going to steal the car. And they didn't want her, like, DNA in there, because they were going to, like, clean it or whatever. Okay. So they were like, oh, no, she can't pee in the car, we need to take her out. So she pees herself, and the guys are like, oh, don't let her piss in the fucking car. So they dragged her out, um, and now she's just laying in the sand. Um, so the next thing she remembers, they pulled out a knife, and they're holding the knife, and they're bending it down to her, and they start they just start slicing her throat <gasps> one by one, and they're taking turns doing this. And she's kind of like in and out of consciousness, but more in, or in consciousness, because <laughs> she remembers a lot of this. But she said there were points where she kind of blacked out. Is she feeling it? Yeah, so she hears the noise of the guy stabbing her over and over again. She said it was horrible. The noise of, like, the blade just going through her. So the guy stabbed her abdomen then, her pelvic area, 37 times. <gasps> and her throat was sliced 17 times. And she thought... to she That was like, is... And she was still alive through it. And they were like, oh, my God, are they torturing me or are they trying to kill me? And they were they kept saying, like, die, you fucking bitch, like, just saying all the shit... And she laid there limp. So I think they thought that she was, like, going to die. So, and she said as the guy was stabbing her, ironically, the moon was right behind him and gave him, like, a halo. She was like, it was the most ironic thing because it felt like he had, like, an angel's halo behind him when, in all reality, he's stabbing me and trying to fucking kill me. Um, but she said that was, like, the point where she kind of accepted her fate. And she was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to die. I just know it. She said at this point... She couldn't even connect to the pain. It felt like nothing. She yeah. could hear all the She's sounds. She's in shock, I'm sure. She could hear every single sound, but she could not feel a single thing. Her body was numb. She was just laying there, taking each blow after blow after blow. Not even flinching, not even moving, nothing. She was just staring up at them. Um, so after a while, she said she saw their feet get smaller, their bodies fade away, their voices disappeared, and then she heard them toss her clothes out, and they kind of landed right next to her, and they drove away. She couldn't believe it. She was still alive. They thought she was dead. Um, so how disgusting! They just like threw her clothes out, like like here, bitch. And her body was obviously in fucking shambles. So she had so many stab wounds to her abdomen that her intestines had actually fallen out. The, I mean, there would be nothing. Thirty. Where is it? Thirty-seven there, times. Thirty-seven times. There's post, that room for that. I'll post the photo of like her abdomen not like it's not gory but it'll show like where the stab wounds are and they're all below her belly button so it's all takes place how is there space for 37 stab wounds how big was the knife do you think it was big but the thing is they didn't stab and then cut they were just doing like little bitty um it was like in and out in and out puncture wounds um so she was stabbed over 37 times in her abdomen and pelvic area her throat was completely 
almost completely severed. Okay, and I'm going to get into description detail about that. It's she was nearly decapitated, is what the doctors. <gasps> um, so oh. from the outside looking in, though, you would think that she was completely dead. So they tossed her clothes out and they drive away, and she doesn't feel any pain at all. Her body was in pure shock at this point. However, she said she was still alive. And she said she kept hearing this awful sound. She was like, what is that sound? Like, what could it be? Like, what is that sound? And it was like this wheezing sound over and over and over and over again. She's like, I don't know what that sound is, but it needs to go the fuck away. It's her. So she realizes they had severed her windpipe. So every time she was breathing, it was causing this horrible wheezing, gurgling sound. So uh, was, there's like blood coming out yeah. of it. Yeah. So she was like, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> so... She's looking at her body, and she's looking at the severity of her injuries, and she's like, oh, my God, How? I'm going to die. She's like, I lost hope. I completely lost hope. This How can she even see herself? Sorry, I keep interrupting. I'm trying to see. How so can she's, she like, looking herself? at herself. Like, she's laying there, and she's, like, looking down at herself. Her head's kind of propped up a little bit. Okay. And she's looking at herself. But it's dark, too. And she can, the moonlight is what she keeps referencing. There was so much light coming from that moonlight that really helped her, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, she saw her intestines outside of her body. She's bleeding out. She's nearly decapitated. And she's like, I'm going to die. And in the documentary, she said that she had this horrible, horrible cloud of sadness, this overwhelming sadness, just take over her whole body because she didn't want to die. She loved her life. She was so excited about having a family. She loved her friends. She loved her parents. She had so many hopes and dreams for the future. And she kept saying, this is, I'm going to die. Like, this is not what I wanted. And then she had this overwhelming sense of anger. She was like, oh my God, no, these guys just came here. They did this to me. They fucked me up. You know, like, they wanted me to die. Like, we have to stop them. You know, like, I, they're going to go on to do this to more women. That's not fair. Um, so she said that she actually saw, felt her body, like, she felt herself come out of her body, floated into the air, and looked back and saw her body like in the fetal position on the ground like kind of like moving around and she said she heard this voice say like do you want to survive or do you want to come with us and she's like I think it was like kind of like a loved one greeting me mm-hmm. um, she was like I want to live and she said from that moment she came back into her body okay that's nuts so the crazy part is so she comes to her body and she starts remembering a lot of things that happened from the attack so the two guys, since they thought that they had killed her, they kept calling each other by their real names. So, um, although he said his name was Clinton, that's not his real name. It was actually Franz. And his friend's name was Thiens, is what they say, Thiens. But I'm just going to, let's just call him Mr. T, because there's a lot of names in this. <laughs> Mr. That T. There's a lot of names in here that sound the exact same. So, we're going to oh, say really? Mr. T. Yeah. So, Franz and Mr. T. So, she's laying in the sand, and she uses all the energy. This is amazing so she writes down the two guys names in the sand because she wants them to get caught just in case she died so she uses all of her energy and she writes their letters in the sand their their names their names oh sorry yes their names in the sand and then under it she wrote i love my mom because she was like my mom is gonna find me and i just want her to know because i don't have a chance to tell her so she wrote i love my mom i would write i love cody i know i wouldn't so i think (laughs) so again she said if she had died she just wanted her mom to know how much she meant to her. But uh, however, she said, when I wrote that, this gave me a push to kind of fight. So it was almost a good thing. She was like, wait, 
I need to see my mom again, you know? Yeah, and she just did more than what she right. was planning on doing. Exactly. So. so she's continuously losing blood. It's not getting any better. She looks down because um, she felt something very wet on her legs. And she's like, oh, my God, is that like the beach washing up on me? And she looks down, and a lot of her intestines are sitting on her legs, too. And oh. she's like, shit, I'm losing so much blood. What do I do? So she grabs her denim jacket that had been tossed out right next to her, and she kind of cradles her intestines in the jacket, kind of like a sack almost, to hold them close to her stomach, um, almost like a little basket. So she gets, so she got one hand, and she's like kind of holding all that, and then she starts to crawl on her knees. How is her head not falling off? So I'm about to get to that. This is the crazy part. So she's like, if I want to survive, I have to make some moves. I, if I just lay here, I'm going to fucking die. So this ended up being way too painful for her because all the sand, like her t- intestines are out. It's like scraping against it. It's just the sand. Like her intestines were filled with like rocks, pieces of wood, cut grass, and charcoal. So she had a lot of c- contamination in her intestines. So... On top of that, it was in- extremely painful to crawl. There was, like, glass in the sand and stuff. She's well, like, this sand, is- like, is glass. Right. She's like, this is not going to fucking work. So she thought to herself, she's like, if I collapse right now and just gave up, my mom is going to know that I survived for a little bit, and that's, that's going to break her heart. So she didn't want her family have to go through, like, all, like, the what-ifs. Like, what if we had just got there? What if, you know, if we were there, wow. she would have survived. She was like, she was like, so Allison, being the badass, she was, she was like, Allison, you are going to have to get up and walk to safety. Your parents need you. You have so much to live for. Just get up. You can do it. So she stands up with all that energy, and she stands up, and she said it went completely bl- black. She just doesn't remember anything. Just completely black. Um, and then she comes to, and she's still standing up. She's like in and out. You know, like when you get dizzy and you stand up and things go black. So she went to go, she thought she had something like on her throat. So she went to go touch her throat. And when she went to go touch it, her hand went completely inside her throat and just felt her like vertebrae. So it went completely through her whole wound. Like, so her literal head. And she said at that point, her head fell back. (gasps) She saw behind her. So her head, the muscles on her neck holding it up were detached too. So her head just fell back. So basically it was just balancing on her vertebrae. And when she hit it, her neck fell back and she was sitting behind her. Okay. That is the most absurd thing I've ever ever heard heard. in my life. So she had to pull her hair. She had to hold her head up as she's, as she's holding her. I know it's insane. Y'all should see Emily's face right now. So she had to hold her head like by her hair upward so she could see and she's walking but the crazy part is that she said that it was almost like she something took over her body because she her feet just started moving they just started walking she wasn't putting any effort into it they were just walking like for her like she said it was the strangest feeling like in the next thing she knows she made it to the road like where the cars are going she's like holy shit i made it to the road and she just collapsed in the middle of the road so, um, there's not a lot of traffic on this road, but there are cars here Can and you there. give people a minute? To process that. I'm thinking, yeah, it's insane. So I've never heard anything And the doctors like- were later say, later say, like, you were completely, like, basically decapitated. Every muscle, you know when you, like, yeah, like that, but I all of those see. were detached. All of the muscles, all of everything holding, it was just, and when she had hit that neck thing, 
her neck bone, it had knocked her head off center because it was ba- just balancing at that point. Insane. So Okay, okay. I'm good. So she collapses in the middle of the road, and she's like, you know what? Surely if someone sees me laying in the road, they're going to pull over and help me. So she sees a car come in. She's like, oh, my God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. And they swerve right past her. And she's like, that's okay. That's okay. Um, she wasn't mad, though. She said she understood. She was just kind of sad. She was like, I don't know if I would have pulled over either. I would have been kind of scared. So she hears the sounds of another car. And this car was, like, jam-packed with people. Like, she could hear the music. Like, they're partying, having a good time. And it came to a screeching halt right by her. So inside the car was 20-year-old veterinarian student. His name is Tian. Okay? And Allison referred to him as her knight in shining armor. Oh, my God. So, do they end up getting married? We'll get there. So Tian is a 20-year-old year, veterinary student, and he was on vacation in Port Elizabeth. And okay. he was just with his friends. So he wasn't even um, from there. He was just visiting, and he's in his car, and they're just having a good time. They were out yeah. about, just partying, you know? So when they're driving down the road, they see this naked body lying there, and he pulled over, and he gets out of the car, and he rushes over to her. Um, and one of his friends followed, and she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs, so she's horrified. The friend? Yeah, and Tian, like, looks at her, and he's like, stop, you need to get back in the car, you're gonna make this situation worse. Like, this yeah. lady's in dire need, just get back in the car, I can handle this. So he takes Allison's hand immediately, and he's like, and he looks her in the eyes, and she opens her eyes. He said they are completely bloodshot, they look weak, she looks terrified. I mean, just think about it. Everything that's happened to her, like, her eyes, you he's like, you could tell that this girl has been something, you know? Um, and he was like, I could tell that she was going through something, but I just kept reassuring her. Everything is going to be okay. I got you. Don't even worry. He clearly has not seen everything. No, no, no. He had no idea, obviously. Oh, no, 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 because she's holding it. So we'll get to that. So... She said that there was just something very calming about his face. Like, right when she made eye contact with him, she kind of felt like, you know, okay, I kind of want to live. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's making me feel safe. He's making me feel secure. And he told her, he was like, um, he told his friends, he was like, if you continue to scream, you're going to freak her out. You need to call the ambulance. Like, if you just go do that, I can take care of her. Like, don't worry. You don't have to see all this. So, Sion took off his shirt so that he could apply some pressure to her neck because she was losing a lot of blood. Um, and his veterinarian skills really came into place. I mean, obviously, like, she's human. She's not an animal. But, like, you know, basic know, medical. but they have to, like, know so many different right, types of bodies. Basic medical terminology. Like, he's like, I can, you know, get through this. So I'm just, like, worried. Like, her head. Her head. But they, they hadn't punctured any major arteries. I know. But I'm just like, how is she laying? I know. She's that... just laying in the road. Like, limp as can be. So he starts applying pressure. Um, she said it's very painful, so her heart rate goes up, and she starts having a panic attack. And he's like, he's like, no, 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 stay calm with me, calm down. You need to work on your breathing. And he was like doing the, like the one, two, three, like just working her through her breathing. Um, and she said that was like the most relaxing thing ever. Yeah, like, she I'm just sure. wanted that sense of security. So some of the people are now there's like starts to be a traffic jam. Like people are coming up. And people are exiting their vehicles to see what's going on. And he's like, no, get back in the car. Like, I got it. Like, he didn't want people, like, you know, people will, you know. Oh, I know. When my aunt, like, passed out at graduation, everyone's like, oh. I was like, yeah. He was like, give her her space. You know, I got this. So he said he wasn't distracted by any of that. He kept focused on Allison. His main goal was just to keep her from dying. Because he literally said it in this documentary. He's like, I thought she was going to die. I was just going to be there until she died. So, yeah. Um. 
Allison, she couldn't talk at this point, but she kept pointing down at her legs. She was like, my legs, my legs, my legs. And he saw that that denim shirt was like covering, was covered in blood. And he's like, what, like what is in the denim shirt? And she kind of like flopped it open a little bit. And that's when he noticed that there was her intestines literally just sitting inside this denim shirt. So, I don't even know what that looks like. I know. In the documentary, she takes out the denim shirt that she used for it, and she, like, throws it in the trash can as a last, like, goodbye. I'm not going to relive this anymore. It's a really powerful documentary. You have to watch it. I'm literally going to go home and watch it. Yeah. So, um, but the whole time, he's like, how the fuck did she survive this? Like, I don't understand. He's, like, looking at her. He's like, I do not see how somebody survived this. So he called one of his friends over. He's like, hey, I need your help. I want you to massage her legs. It's important to keep the circulations in her legs. Because, you know, the blood circulation is what affects your heart. Yeah. Um, so one of the friends is massaging her legs. Um, but she's super, super exhausted from everything that's happening. And she keeps saying that she wants to take a nap. She wants to fall asleep. And he's like, no, 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 no. You can't fall asleep. I need you to stay engaged. I need you to stay awake. I need you to just, you know, stay focused. Stay focused. So um, he's like, you know what? I'm going to... I need to ask you some questions about the crime. You know, just in case something bad happens, I need you to answer these questions. So Allison couldn't talk at this point. Instead, they would do, like, the squeezing of the hand. So, like, one squeeze was yes, two was no. So he was able to gather as much information as possible. Like, if she were to die, he wanted to make sure that the attackers would be caught. Okay, can Um, I ask you a question? Has anyone called um, first responders? Yeah, and I'm about to get to that, too. Okay, okay, sorry. this worked well. He was able to get a lot of information or enough that he could, you know, tell her story for her if something were to happen. So, um, so she can, he continued to try to like keep her from falling asleep. And he said, well, do you have a boyfriend? And she sick she signaled no. And he said, well, you better make it through this and live because you need to take me on in a date because you ruined my shirt. So you owe me. So he was just trying to be funny. And he said right after he said that, Allison gave him the most incredible smile he had ever seen. Um, so Tian was like, I have to keep her alive. And he said at that point, he kneeled down and said, you have the most beautiful eyes. I'm going to need you to keep those eyes open so I can keep staring at them. So she was like, she said, oh my God, I was like, really? She doesn't have a boyfriend at this time, by the way. She just, no. t- but yeah. she was like completely flattered. <laughs> So, going back to the police. So, they were called, and they said, oh, yeah, it'll be about 15 minutes before we get there. So, Tian said it was 15 minutes, 20, 30, Uh -uh. 40. An hour passed. They still were not there. They ended up waiting 90 minutes before the paramedics arrived. So, he was like, what the fuck? So, he was pissed when they showed up. So, they bring her into the ambulance, and he is holding her arm. He's like, I'm going with her. I'm going with her. So, like, yeah, come on in. And he kept saying, you need to drive faster. Hurry up. Hurry up. And they were getting mad at him. And he's like, it was almost as if they thought that she was already dead and that she wasn't going to survive. So they didn't really care. He was like, can you go faster? Like, we're on an empty road. Go, go, go. And they were just like, oh, yeah, we'll go. Like, it's like they didn't care. He was living. Are you serious? Right. So they arrive at the hospital and they were still holding hands when they brought her in on the stretcher they were still holding hands until it came into the point where she had to go back into the operating room so he said before you go just hang in there you were tough look how far you already made it you're already here you're gonna be fine and i'm gonna be right here when you get out so don't even worry so he really 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 cared about allison um and he stayed at the hospital the whole time he had blood all over him um all over his pants he was shirtless (laughs) he was hoping and praying um was he hot I don't know what he looked like back then. I know what he looks like now. So, I don't know. 
But um, at that moment, he said he was sitting in the waiting room and he was like, I'm not going back to veterinarian school. I'm going to be a doctor. This gave me a fire. I need to protect the, I need to protect humans. Like this has made me feel good to see how much I was able to do for her. I'm going to, I want to be a doctor, which is insane. So, um, people that have epiphanies like that, I'm like, what is it like? Right. So a lot of the doctors that she had were trauma doctors and they said that what they saw, they had never seen in their entire time. And these guys have been working for 20, 30, 40 plus years. They're like, we have never seen this before. Even to the date of the documentary, right. they had never since then. No, they said the sh- quote, the sheer brutality, mindless, mindless destruction of a human really got to me. Like they were devastated. Like it was so hard for them to operate on her because they were so, how can a human do this to another human? They were in shock when they saw her. And the doctor in the documentary was like, I had to keep it together because if I was worried, she was going to be worried. But I was just so flabbergasted on how another human could do this to somebody. So they're assessing her neck and they said it was horrific. And one of the doctors um, said that, so she had 17, um, they called it ear to ear lacerations from her throat. So it was basically going from ear to ear, hence why she was almost decapitated. Her trachea and windpipe had completely been cut through, and every single muscle in her neck was cut through, which is why she couldn't How hold her neck up. How did they not cut your jugular? Right. Her. That's the only thing they didn't cut, or none of the major arteries in her neck, too. That led to her heart and her brain. Um, so she was breathing through a small hole on, over her right collarbone. And that's what she was hearing? Yeah. that's The wheezing sound was coming from that. So they take a look at her app. So here's a crazy part. So they're looking at her neck and one of the doctors was like, I need you to pull up that, the sheet. Cause they had a white sheet over her and look at that. So they pulled it over and that's when they see her intestines out of her body. And they were like, I, what? I cannot believe this. Like this I'm is insane. Like, and they said there was that? clumps of sand, clumps of charcoal, grass, foreign objects just stuck to it. The doctors were like amazed. They were like, we have to operate her on her as soon as possible. Do they talk about how they clean, like, how do you clean that out? Yeah, we're going to get into that, too. So they had to have her sign a consent form, though, and they were so shocked because she wrote her name so beautifully. She wrote it in print, in cursive, and then underneath it, she wrote her mom's number. Just, but the fact that she keeps going back to her mom just breaks my heart because I love my mom to death, and I'm like, she really wanted her mom to know that she was thinking about her, which I thought was so sweet. So... They get into the operating room and they were like, it is go time. It was all hands on deck. There was like 10 plus doctors working on her. Um, They were like, we have to protect this person. Like we have to, you know, she didn't survive all of this just for us to, you know, her to die on our operating table. She made it this far. We're going to get her through it. So the operation went well. In fact, they said it was some of the best work they've ever seen any of them do. They were just so motivated to get her help. Um, There were a lot of nurses. There was a lot of doctors. Um... So the main doctor scrubbed every inch of her bowels so meticulously to get every inch and every little piece of debris off. Um, so they were using like this like method that they use where they like they dunk them in this like yellow liquid and like crazy, just crazy, crazy but stuff. Out of her body. Out of her body. Um, and all of the doctors said that they do not believe in miracles and they have no academic answer on how she survived this, but this is the one thing that would make them think that miracles are real. Because they're like, there's no way. Nobody could survive this. Because I'm wondering how long she sat there before she even woke up and made it to the room. Right, exactly. So one of the doctors working on her 
Dr. David actually stayed with her the whole night in the intensive care unit. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm here if you need anything, I'm gonna stay with you. It's not my job to stay here with you, but he just really felt like, you know, close to this. So first thing in the morning though, the police officers knock on the door and they wanted to chat with the doctors. They told him, hey, due to the information that we were able to collect from the crime scene, um, we think we caught the guys. Tian gave us enough information. Allison was able to, you know, write down some information. We think we have the guys, but we just want Allison, we want to show her some suspects and we want her to point them out kind of in a lineup. Has anyone called her mom? Not yet. Oh. So the police officers went into the hospital room with a folder of pictures and they turned each page over one by one. Um, and there was only like four or five pictures and she immediately pointed and she like wrote down without any hesitation at all. So I doubt she can talk. Name. She can't talk, but she could write down the names of them. So she grabbed a pen, wrote both of their names down, signed it, and the police were like, all right, cool, thanks, that's all we needed. Well, they come back and said, hey. So the prosecutor on this case um, said that we would have a stronger case if Allison verbalizes their names, not just write them down and sign it, because anybody could have done that for her. So the doctor's like, are you fucking kidding me? They were like, no, in order for her to do that, we would have to remove the tube from her lungs right now through her trachea that we just newly operated on. It's still healing. It would be super painful for her. The operation is so fresh, so new. Things are still healing. Absolutely no way. We're not doing it. They were they like, well, can you? They're like, well, can you at least ask her? They just want, they thought they would have a stronger case if she vocalized it. So the doctor's like, I'll tell her. So they sit her down or they go up to her and they say, hey, look, this is what they want. And she grabs a piece of paper and a pen and she said, take it out. Because she wanted them, she wanted them to go down. So they take it out and her first word, she goes, ah, oh, that's wonderful. And she said, my attackers were Franz and Tians. And that was it. They recorded it on video and they put it back in. Does it show it? Mm-hmm. It shows the video? Oh, no, 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 not the video. Oh. I don't know. You could probably find it. There is a lot of videos on this documentary, but not that part. But she tells that part. So, um, so op, um, Officer Melvin Humble gets put on this case. So he's now the lead investigator. He finds out that her two attackers were already, um, they were a serial rapist. They had already been doing this for quite some time. So the first victim that they raped um, she got into her car from working a job from going door to door taking surveys for like a pizza company, I think. And so she would go to door to door and be like, oh, have you ordered this pizza before? What did you mm -hmm. think about it? Just, you know, that some kind of like weird. a college job, right? So she's in her car and the door swings open and a gun is placed on her head and the guys tell her to move over. They drive her to a wooded area and they rape her. So then they drive to a local restaurant. They buy her a sandwich and a rose. Like, what a fucking Ew. sick gesture, right? So she ate the sandwich, she said. She kept talking to her. Oh, and he kept talking to her like he's her girlfriend. Or, like, he's her boyfriend. And he eventually dropped her off at the house, and he was like, you know, I had such a great time. I'm going to make this up to you, and I can't wait to see you again, babe. And she's like, okay. So She's They were been, both together, the guys? The two guys were, yeah, that had just but, raped this girl. And she was like, I was with them for three hours. So Ew. she went home from this ordeal, but she didn't tell her parents. She was just like a zombie, they said, for the next week. And naturally, she, like, breaks down, and she tells her friend. And her friend's like, oh, my God, we have to report this. You have to go to the police. So luckily, she mustered up the strength, and they went to the police station, and they reported the incident. Um, and they go to arrest him, but then they let him go on bond. Both of them on bond. So then 
while they're while they're out on bond, they rape a eight month old pregnant twenty nine or eight month pregnant twenty nine twenty one year old, and she was at just a local coffee shop. Um, they had raped her and threatened her to not go to the police, and they told, and she was like, "No, no, no, I won't, I won't, I won't, I promise." However, immediately after they left, she ran to the local police station and she spilled everything. She knew their names, and they arrested the, the two men, but someone bailed them out, so they were Is out the again on bond. Same yes, same. Them out? No, I don't know who the person bailing them out, but. They got out on bail, and that second time when they were out on bail is when they attacked Allison. Oh. Right. Oh, my God. So, the two guys, and they admitted this, they said, you know what? The next one that we do this to, we're going to have to kill, because the next two, the last two told on us. So, while Allison's being operated on, they found the two guys, and the cops wanted to check out, like, so, they were like, okay, we have the, we have our guys. We're going to show up at their house. So, they go up to their apartment they burst in and they're both still sleeping um and like they wake up because all of the commotion and the two guys wake up and the police went up to them and they're like you're fucking arrested and they're like officer officer like what are we being charged for like what did we do and the police the police replied like you're under arrest for the attempted murder of allison botha and the guys kind of froze and they were like what they're like yeah you attempted to kill her you left her for dead but she survived and she reported both of you and they were like oh and you know what the guy said? Which how one? did she survive? Franz. Franz. He said, how did she survive? And they were like, well, she survived. You know, it's a miracle. And he goes, well, I guess if she survived, here, you can have this. And he gave her a ring. He's like, I stole it from Allison after I killed her. He, had her, he was wearing one of her rings and it still had bl- her blood on it. Ew. After he killed her. After well, he, he killed didn't. her. So the other guys are like, oh, fuck. She's alive. And then he goes, well, I guess it won't help if I lie. I should probably just tell the truth since she's alive. Yeah, probably. Uh, Yeah, you should probably tell the fucking truth, you fucking whore-ass bitch. So, (laughs) Franz and the little stupid-ass 19-year-old sidekick. Oh, he's 19, by the way. Yeah. They're arrested, and they proceed to tell the police everything that happened. They, like, did not hold anything back at all. They said they were drinking, they were barbecuing, and they decided, they were like, you know what, let's take this party up and hunt. Let's go rape a girl. But remember, we have to kill her because the last two bitches went to the cops. So they had their eyes set on, and they made up this whole scheme. I'm going to pick her up, we're going to meet you. and then Did we'll they already her. have her picked out? No, they just went to that apartment okay. complex. Okay. Yeah. So he said after they slit her throat and he they raped her, he said he, that he asked Franz, he was like, do you think she's dead? And Franz was like, let's find out. And then they kept stabbing her. So they thought for sure that she was dead. They were like, she wasn't moving. How, how did she survive? She wasn't moving. But she's... So they ended up stabbing her in her private area, too. So he said, we stabbed her stomach, her private area, her abdomen, and we slashed her throat some more. We wanted to make sure she was dead. So let me ask, did they live closer to the... Where she was found or where she was. Yeah, because they had to drive quite some time to get to the part where they tried to kill her. So he said after they were certain she was dead, they ransacked her car and they threw out all of her stuff. And they drove home, drank some more beers, had some more food. And that was it. And they found her car at their... At their apartment, yep. So the two guys told the police that they, yes, they stole their car. But they were really mad because the car was older and it wasn't in good shape. So they were like, ugh. You know, they wanted to steal a car, but they're like, God, this one's a piece of shit. Um, so the guys even admitted that they fully had plans to rape another woman the next With day. With a better car? They wanted to rape another woman the next day. Uh, but this time they wanted to throw her off a bridge so that they could see somebody fall to their death. 
and they thought it'd be cool to hear her scream all the way down. So they weren't holding anything back. <laughs> um, that is And so once the story got out into the public, they there was complete outrage, okay? It was all over the papers. This was a random act of violence. The public was mad. They were scared. Everyone was thinking, you know, this could have been me. This could have been my daughter. It could have been my wife, aunt, whoever. It could have been my sister. It could have been anybody. The out, like, the public was outraged. So both, both of the guys tell the police that they're going to plead guilty. Um, but the police were like, I don't trust anything out of their mouth. We never know what's going to happen until we get to the trial. Um, so while they're in prison... Um, Franz actually acted like he was possessed by demons and demanded to have a pastor come and perform an exorcism on him. He said that there were demons trapped inside of his body. So it seemed like he was already coming up with some sort of like defense to like plead insanity. And they said that there was like two demons, like, and I forgot their names, but they're very, I don't know demons names, but no, that no. So there was like two Baticus or something like that. Okay. But he kept getting them, like, one's female, one's a male, and he kept getting their stories mixed up, oh. and they were like, uh-uh, uh-uh. You're getting them mixed up. Like, that's, you're getting the two demons mixed up. Right. So like, no, he's making this shit up. He wants to plead insanity. So, they were like, no, this guy's, This no. is Clinton this slash is Franz. Franz. Yep. So, let's catch up with what Tiana's doing, the, the savior, right? The knight in shining armor. Yeah. Tian. So, he actually went back to his hotel, he showered, he ate, um, and he went straight back to the hotel every day to be with Allison. The hospital? The hospital. What did I say? The hotel. Again, yeah, the no, hospital to be with sure. Allison. He had kept his word. Um, he went there day after day, um, but eventually it was time for him to go back home. Like, he was only there for vacation, right? But he was there by her side the whole time. So. And her mom? Yes, they're there, too. I'm getting to all the friends in the family, too. So Allison's friend, the mom, the sister, everybody was there. They all went to visit her. And the friend said in this documentary, so they went up to her while she was, like, asleep, and they are just crying over her body, like, hysterically. They're just like, oh, my God, like, how could this happen? You know, who could do this to our friend? Like, they just saw the state that she was in, and they were just horrified. So bawling their eyes out, and Allison, like, opens her eyes because she can hear them, and it wakes her up. And she's like, she looks at them, and she goes, no, 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 don't cry. I'm fine. And she takes her hand out from underneath the sheet. And she goes, look, I didn't even break a nail. And she had, like, these painted nails on. And they said that they were, like, tattered and they were, like, bloody. They were like, but she didn't break a nail the whole time. So she was, like, making a joke out of it, you know? Wow. So, again, amazing support system. Um, she was surrounded by her father, her friends, her mother. Um, and, of course, uh, Tien, her knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. So... Eventually, he went back home, like I said. But as he left, he gifted her a cactus. And he wrote her a card that said, You are the bravest, most beautiful person I've ever met. And left it with her. Isn't that the sweetest thing? Was he from South Africa? No. He was just visiting there on a trip. I believe he was actually from here, from America. Oh, he was from the States. So, um, so Tian would come back and eventually take part in the trial. So he was a significant part in the trial because oh, yeah. I remember he found her. So he even went on to win awards with Allison. They both won Citizen of the Year Award of Port Elizabeth, which is incredible. Um, so remember how I said that he had changed his mind from wanting to be a vet yeah. to being a doctor? So he did. And he actually went on to deliver Allison's second child. She went to him so that he could deliver the child. 
Isn't that amazing? He was I like, thought you were going to tell me they got married. No, they didn't. I wish it was a love story, but it wasn't. So he's like, it was so beautiful because I, in a sense, brought her like back to life. And I welcomed her new life into this world as well. And they remain amazing friends to this day. Do so I love it. Have they ever tried to date? No. Because, no. She was already seeing a guy at this point, kind of. Like, not official, but no. I don't think so. Oh. I wish. So a lot of people kept telling um, Allison, they were like, oh my God, men are evil. All men should die. You know, like all this horrible stuff. And she was like, you know, don't get me wrong. These men were absolutely horrible. But she said, quote, do not say that. That's not true. If it were for some of the men, if it weren't for some of the men in my life, I would have died. If it weren't for Tian or some of the doctors, I would have died. So those uh, guys aren't men. No, those are, (laughs) those are dogs. So. Prior to Allison's case, so this started a big movement. There was only a handful of women who have ever came forward in this region to reveal their identities of being rape victims. Um, But for Allison, she immediately knew she wanted to tell everybody and anybody. Like, she was like, I don't feel any shame. Like, I want people to fucking know what happened. And I want to get justice for not only myself, but for every other woman that this happened to. So she said, quote, why do I have to hide my face? I'm not the one that committed the crime. I just don't understand it. So she was hoping her story would raise awareness, encourage other women to come forth. Yeah. She says, quote, I get why girls don't do this, but at the same time, someone has to shatter this misconception. Why do women feel responsible for what happened to them? Why are we so reluctant to talk about it and show your face? I'm more than happy to do that. So Allison knew her privilege. She knew that she was lucky to have unconditional support by her family and her friends. She, so she was like, if I speak out, I don't care if people think, you know, poorly of me. I have my amazing family, my amazing friends to back me up. Because she knows that she hasn't done anything wrong. Right. So, um, Allison, although Allison survived and she's, like, in recovery, just going back to recovery, um, she would continue to suffer from this attack for years and years and years to come. So she would have to go back to the hospital every single day to treat the injuries. And they would have to scrape her intestines until it bled because that was the only way that they could have new cell growth come up yeah so there was like little lacerations and stuff in it so they would have to scrape it with like a little pick until it bled so that new cell growth would come on all of her scars too and she said it was completely the like horrible like the most painful thing that she's ever gone through it was like she said she was just her whole body was pain like and she was like I'm never gonna feel what it feels like to not be in pain ever again she had to undergo more and more surgeries she said the pain just consumed her whole day but she was alive so she said she loved visiting her doctor because she was like one of the few people that did not pity her she didn't want people to pity her she was like i survived i'm fine and he was super comfortable around her um he was just very calming he would make jokes during her operations like he would be scraping her stomach and she would be like ouch you know that hurts and he would say oh well i can't feel anything that's fine <laughs> and it would make her laugh and she was like oh my god so they laughed a lot together he's like what really pulled her through the one that stayed with her yes the he's like the anesthesiologist and the lead trauma doctor too so oh. he like did both i don't think they do that here so they finally removed the bandage around her neck and her scars like shocked everybody she could tell that they were severe because she said when she would just go up to random people before they looked into her eyes they were staring at her neck and she didn't want to look at her scars for a while because it would bring back memories but she said she knew they were bad because everybody that came up to her was just staring at her scars um can you see them in the documentary no because they've healed so much so she said someone even came up to her and was like you should wear a scarf isn't it 
wild what fucking people say. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? I tried, but she said that she had PTSD from the scarf, like a choking scent. She was like, I yeah. just couldn't do it. She was like, I'm just going to embrace my scars. Oh my God. I just want to, what is going through people's mind when they say stupid shit like I that? I know. I would never say that. That's like if someone has cancer and they lose their hair, you should wear a wig. Like, yeah. Like tell my mom that right now. She really looks fucking hot. So that's why I'm not wearing a wig. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So at this point, they're prepping for the trial. And so they had to document all of her injuries and all of her recovery, right? So she would have to go to the police station because they wanted to show the extent of the injuries, but they also wanted to show in trial how long it's taken for the injuries to heal. So she would have to go into the uh, police station and the hospital, and she said this was humiliating. She would have to drop her pants, and they would have to take pictures of her pubic area like her intestine area and she said she had to do this over and over again she said it was completely traumatizing she just wanted to heal she just wanted to you know move on um but she would have to do this and she said it was just a constant reminder do you think that it helped with like i don't know if they do this in south africa but like possibility of parole because they're like okay well he was good for whatever however long right can he get out but then they're like well look at all of the trauma she's right still maybe suffering. i think they wanted to show i think the worry was is the case they didn't actually kill her right so they wanted to be like look they had full intent to kill her and this is why look at all of the injuries you know yeah okay so allison said she never complained she never well, they was... even said they left her they thought she was, she was dead, dead but so... she didn't actually die so i mean you can't say it was murder because she didn't die you know yeah which so is they wanted stupid. right so she said she never complained she never resisted um she was like this is the only chance that i can get justice for other women she never thought of herself she's like i can do this for not only me but for every other woman too right um so she was like i felt super uncomfortable taking off my clothes in front of these policemen but i'm just gonna fucking do it so um officer melvin then said you know what so i don't used to i guess this didn't happen now they use it but they wanted to use the glass identification system so they were going to bring in like a group of 15 men um to with numbers on them and she would have to turn around and say it was you and you right and this was the first documented case in south africa of them using this method so they still do that here yeah they do it here but i don't in the 90s i don't know what they did before that but this is the first time that they ever did this so so, um, so in the, vi- in the documentary, you can see her, they're videoing her and they're telling her like, Hey, like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to identify your attackers. You don't have to say anything. There's 10 or 15 men behind this wall. Um, you're going to go in and you're going to pick out the two that did it to you. Right. Wow. So this documentary was like, they were filming it as things were happening. Well, I think it's just like, um, they're using like crime oh for the trial for the trial yeah so allison said she was petrified she was like this is the first time i was in the same room as my attackers so she said she walked in there and she's like freaking out she's shaking but she was like i I gotta do it I, i have to do it right so they bring her into the room and her back is facing the men they read her her rights and what's supposed to be done and she turns around and she sees all these men and she goes well they look a lot different now but it's six and it's 13, like without hesitation. She said it within 30 seconds. She knew exactly who it was. And you can tell in the documentary about when she said their numbers, they were like. They can hear her? Yeah. Because there's like little holes in it. They were like. Mm. But Idiots. I'm like, at the same time, you admit to doing it. Yes. So this is a cool part. So Officer Melvin, in this documentary, he said he did not handcuff them. 
because you know what he told them? He goes, I'm not going to handcuff you because I want you to run because if you run, I can shoot you. <gasps> he wanted to shoot them. He said, give me the chance and I will shoot you. He wanted them to try to run. He's like, I'm not going to handcuff you. Run and I'll shoot you because he was so mad that they could do this to her. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that would go over <laughs> in today's world, but... So, in the whole trial, neither of them ever tried to run. Every single day in court, they didn't try to run. Um, and Allison said the whole trial was just so strange. So, she said she felt very removed. Like, she was watching a courtroom TV documentary. She's like, I didn't feel like it was mine. Um, and then she said she would suddenly get surprised because the judge would, like, say her name. She'd be like, oh, my God, this, this is about me. Sorry. Uh, wait, what? Because she had just tried to remove herself from it, but it just did not feel real to her. That is. So um, wild. And the press also, like, overanalyzed her and, like, trying to make her seem like, oh, what is she up to? Because she said she was sitting next to her mom, but she didn't want to, like, lean over and talk to her mom. So she had this little notepad that she would write, like, you know, what's for lunch? What she would get for lunch on it? Or, like, I can't believe he said that. You know, like, little notes like that. And they were, like, taking pictures of her writing. They're like, I wonder what's on the note. Is she cracking? Like, you know, is she... Is she all this stuff they were just reading way too in it she's like why are you focused on that like focus on the you know details of the story and what these horrible men did to me not what i'm writing on a piece of paper to my mother you know that's ridiculous right so franz he gets up to testify and no one was expecting this and the first thing he did was apologize for his haircut uh, he said there was not adequate facilities in prison for him to get a decent haircut for the trial. And everyone's like, no one gives a fuck, you <laughs> right. idiot. Like, so they're just like, uh, what? And he's like, look, guys, my family is super religious. My dad is a police officer. I can't <gasps> believe I did this. And his dad actually committed suicide because he was so horrif horrified about what his son had done. Are you serious? Two weeks later after the trial, he committed suicide. He's, died by suicide, I think, is what you're supposed oh, to say. Oh, died by no, suicide. I, think, I don't know. Because um, he just didn't know what type of monster his son was, and he couldn't handle the pro. Like, so after it. he heard about all of it. Yeah. He was like, oh, my God. And he, yeah. Oh. Because he was a police officer. People, like, looked up to him. He was a great guy in society. He just could not handle. And this handle. is Franz. This is Franz's father. Yep. So Franz, again, he was just like, you know, my family's super religious. Um, and he was like, then I became a Satanist. And... Um, I believe Satan's inside of me and like all these That's other demons and he, it's what possessed me to kill her. Like, I just felt like I had to do it. And they said that he said that the demons made him very sexually like, like aroused, aroused and highly attractive to women and gave him the powers to only, uh, to move items with just his eyes. He said he could look at an alarm clock and it would move. And they were like, bullshit. Up. Well then fucking do it. <laughs> so he claimed that he met 19 year old Tian. Tians, the sidekick, uh, his partner in crime. So he dragged Mr. The, T. Mr. T. So he dragged the 19 year old into Satanism because he wanted to help him with his low self esteem. He pitied the fool. Right. So Franz was like, Yeah, we just bonded and we just started raping people together. It was very powerful. We felt very powerful, but it was the demons inside us. It wasn't, it wasn't actually us. Um, Stop. And he said that he was very sorry for what happened, but he said, in quote, My hands were tied and it was outside of my power. So I had to do it. This is when he's still doing this, like trying to play the story of the demons inside right. of him. With the, right. Okay. So he wanted to, they were like, he's trying to do the, what they call satanic panic. Have you heard of that? 
It's like, yes. when, right, so Satanic Panic, but no that one... That was, like, in the 80s. Right, but nobody believed it at all. And so at this point, though, the death sentence had been taken out of South Africa. So the judge said that he is not a huge fan of giving the death penalty, but for this case, he thought it was more than appropriate to give them the death penalty, but he couldn't. Oh, okay. So he wrote on record that he never wanted the two to be out of prison ever. He never wanted them to see freedom at all. He said, because they are a danger to society. So Franz was sentenced to three life terms with no possibility of parole, but they later get parole. And uh, Mr. T was sentenced to a lifetime plus 25 years with no parole. Okay. Wait, a lifetime? What was Franz's again? Um, so Franz's was three life terms with okay, no okay. possibility of parole. And then Mr. T was one sentence of life plus 25 years. At a, a long time. Forever. Okay, right? So when the sentencing was announced, they were escorted back to the prison, and they walked past the courtroom, and they said, Fuck you all! And they started banging on the walls. So, although the trial was over, they did, in a sense, get justice, and did get justice, um, but Allison said she couldn't go back to regular life. Um, She couldn't even stay at her apartment anymore. She had to move out. She actually moved in with her mother. Mm -hmm. She said she felt so bad for her mom. Because her mom loved her so much, but Allison was so mean to her. She was irritable. She was emotional. She was depressed. She was like, why me? Poor me. She would just lash out at her mom. She was just so emotional about everything that had happened. And you wonder if it was really, like, as bad as, you know what I mean? Is what she's saying. Yeah. Um, But she did say that her mom, in a sense, did love it, too, because she loved having her daughter home. And it's almost like she was an infant again. Her mom got to take care of her and bathe her. They had to bathe her. She had to dress her wounds every single day. It was like she was a child. Um, she said she became so depressed that she didn't care about life anymore. If she ate, if she showered, if she washed her hair, if she brushed her teeth, she said she felt like complete shit. She didn't care. And then she said, right. She said one day she woke up and she was like, Allison, snap out of it. This is not you. You chose to live when you were lying in that sand bleeding out. So live. And she was like, in that moment, she was like, "I, I can live. I got through this. I can do it. Um, so she decided to get her shit together. And around that same time, she got her first invitation from this prestigious like business group in South Africa to come and speak about her survival and her heroism. And she's like, oh, my God. Holy shit. South Africa really came, you know, to help me during all this. Like people were there for me, the citizens of South Africa. They were all on my side. I need to use my voice to get my story out to everybody. So she didn't want to disappoint them, so she went to go speak. And she said it was this overwhelming sense of joy of her talking to, like, these people and sharing her story and just seeing all the emotions on their faces and then people just being so proud of her and crying. She felt really good, and she went on to do more and more and more. Um, And she said she was a horrible public speaker, but as she kept doing them, she got better and better. Um, and she said, and she says this quote in a lot of her speeches, but she says, quote, there aren't any extraordinary people in this world, just ordinary people. But some of those ordinary people do extraordinary things with their lives. And I happen to be one of them. So I was like, oh, I love that. So Allison, like I said, was nominated for the Port Elizabeth Citizen of the Year Award. Um, she was confused, though, because she said she saw the list of everybody else that was on. And she was like, wait, these are huge names. These people actively go out. They're like activists in the community. They're making this town better. Um, and they straight up told her, they said, it's not what you've done. It's the effect that you've had on the South African people. You gave so many women so much hope that things are going to get better for women here in South Africa. And that's why you're on the list. And she was like, oh, my God, I never thought about it that way. So 
so that's great, right? So she wins that. But then she's struck with depression again years later because she reads in the newspaper that the two men that attacked her were up for parole. And this is in 2004. So there was a groundbreaking case of someone who went against the Supreme Court and eventually anyone who had been sentenced to a life uh, sentence prior to 2002 with no chance of parole could be granted parole. And they fit in that, right? So she's freaking out and she starts becoming overwhelmed with depression and anger. She's terrified. Um, Do they want revenge? Are they going to try to find me? Are they going to do this to other women? So all these thoughts are running through her head. And then they get an email She gets an email from a lady in America and says, Hey, my daughter's name is Sabrina. She's Franz's new fiance. She said, I don't know what to do. I tried telling her what happened to you, um, but she won't listen. Can you talk to her? And Allison's like, what? How does this make... find her? She's like, how does this make sense? Like, how do they write letters to each other? Like, in the mom in America's like, no, they met on Facebook. Like, he had a Facebook profile. And in the documentary, they show his Facebook photo. It's horrifying. Um, so she's like, this doesn't make sense. He's in prison. So the mom sent, the mom of Sabrina sent screenshots of the two's conversation, Sabrina and Franz's conversation. And Franz told her that he had people on the outside that can arrange for women in South Africa to be gang raped and sodomized by his boys if he does, if they don't follow his instructions. So for instance, he said he knew a girl that accused Franz of killing her dad. So he was going to organize her to get raped and killed. And Franz also mentioned that he couldn't wait to get out of prison because he had a list of people he needed to deal with. So she takes that to the... She's like, oh, you want to put him up for parole? Well, here's all this, buddy. And he also told Sabrina that she needed to send him $10,000 because a prison official said, if you pay me $10,000, I'll help you get parole. So the guy's fucking insane. So needless to say, in October 2015 came their time and it was determined that they would not be out on parole Um, And they would not even have the chance to even give a testimony, but they would be able to um, have parole every two years following. That only worked for that year. Right. So, but most people speculate that they'll never get out because of how high profile that case was in there. Um, And nobody is in support of them getting, getting out. Like there's petitions being signed, all that shit. But she said it's still the what if every two years is terrifying for her. I can imagine. So, um... Like I said, everyone told her that her injuries were so bad that she would never have children, but she met the love of her life, and she went on. She got married, and she had two beautiful, beautiful boys. Um, And like I said, he got a medical degree. Tian's the one that saved him, uh, saved her. You know, he delivered her baby. They're still friends to this day. And in the documentary, she surprises him and, like, comes up to him as he's doing his interview. So the doctor's being interviewed. He's being interviewed. Her friends the DA, the judge, all of them, and she shows up at the end to give them a big hug, and they're all, like, crying. It's really fucking sweet, but they're all super, super close to this day. Is um, she married? Yeah, she's different. married, and she has two children, yep. So I encourage everybody to watch the documentary, Allison. I'll post it on our site so people can watch it. It's amazing. Um, like I said, it's from the point of view of all people involved. Um, so here's the crazy part that I'm going to leave you on. So while they're filming this documentary, they did reach out to Franz to get say something in it. And you know what he said? He wrote a letter and said, yeah, I'll do it, but I have a list of demands. And this was his demands. Number one, he wants Allison to write him a letter of forgiveness 
and he wants her to sign it. And number two, he wants all profit shares from Allison's book sales and motivational speakings because he said, quote, if it wasn't what I did to her, none of this success would happen to her. And so they were like, fuck you, you're not involved. Can you? What about little 19-year-old? The 19-year-old uh, wasn't really, he wasn't vocal. He just kind of went with the fucking flow. It was Franz. But like, oh my God, are you fucking serious? Insane. But yeah, that's so, there's a book about her, which I'll post, which is incredible. And then that documentary, it's amazing. It's so good. Watch it this weekend. I think I cried. I think I laughed. I think I was scared at some points. Like, like I said, I was going to watch it when I got home. Yeah, you should. It's really good. It's really, really, really good. And their accents are so thick, though. So, like, I had to be like, wait, what did he just say? I watch everything with subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so good, though. So, definitely, definitely watch it. But I wanted to do a survival. It's been a while since we've done a survival survival one. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was so extraordinary. And she's so positive. And I just think with what's going on in today's world, like, her strength and her happiness, I think we can all just things can be a lot worse in your life and just take don't take for granted like the beauty that you have in your day each and every day she i mean this is probably my favorite story you've ever done she's she's a boss my god that and i have a surprise for you she's actually here (laughs) can you imagine she walks in (laughs) like i'm so sorry okay well that was the longest story ever good night babes rate review subscribe oh wait do we need to tell them about what we were doing the Merch? Yeah. Okay, we're going to post merch tomorrow. (laughs) It's new. (laughs) Bye. Bye.